Cell Connection podcast listeners, welcome to Wrestling Warzone, a Monday Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I am JT, and joining me as always on this very routinely recorded podcast is Chad Campbell. Chad, how are you? How's it going? Been, yeah. I'd say it's been a while, but we did do a show a few weeks ago, so it's not, it hasn't been that long as you, yeah. as long as you would have thought. We gave a nice uh, college football preview on our last episode. <laughs> yes, we did. And now we're a month, uh, two months after the season ended, we're back. I did pretty good on that. I said, hey, Georgia set up to be one of the two or three best teams. <laughs> How about the best? So there you go. There you go. Nailed it. Uh, yeah, but so it's been a while since we've been inside the war zone since September. Um, we did go on a hiatus, and I feel like Swirl was happening lately, kind of like, is it ever coming back? It went from, like, when's it coming back to, is it ever coming back? Um, and yes, I kept just saying, we are, we are, and... Uh, here we are. We're back and hopefully back on a regular routine. And I'm excited because, A, I miss doing the show, obviously, and talking to you. But I also feel like it. Um, it's usually when shows take like that long of a gap, it's uh, rare to make the big comeback. And uh, it happened with ECW last year due to the, the Peacock transition. We took a break and came back. And now Warzone, right. after, what, a four, five, six-month mm-hmm. hiatus is returning. Yeah, it'll be so. six months, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a big one. That's uh, I feel like we did good to come back. Yeah, happy to be back. We uh, you know, we stopped at a pretty good time too. If we had to uh, stop or right after SummerSlam, mm-hmm. uh, almost a year chronologically into the shows we've been watching, and as we'll get to tonight, there's a little bit of a transition feeling for both of the shows. So we kind of had a good had a good uh jumping off point to get back into it yeah i feel like a natural conclusion you know we we really dove deep into SummerSlam, and it does feel like a bit of a reset for wf coming off of that show and then from a wcw point of view our last p- big pay-per-view is uh hog wild hulk hogan is our world champion so like that feels like it's kind of the official start of the nwo as well so i feel like we're headed to a fall brawl we're really into the crux of um WCW's big changeover. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was a pretty. If we had to take a little hiatus, I think that was it. I think we we hit it at the right spot to kind of come back. It doesn't feel like we're picking up in the middle of nowhere. It kind of feels like we're just picking up at a changing point. Um, I do want to throw this at you though, Chad. Yeah. It is uh, through two years to the date, my friend. As we record this, that we posted our first Warzone episode on the North South Connection. Oh yeah, that's right. February 28th, 2020. Nice. So, pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lifetime ago. Lifetime ago. That was uh, 40, almost 40 episodes ago here on episode 74. So, all right. So, we'll go ahead and dive in then. Uh, We're going to start with the August 19th, 1996 episode of Monday Night Raw. Do you happen to have uh, the arena? I I didn't mark it down here. Yeah, it is. Well, I said that. I got the. It's. Uh, I don't know the arena. They're in Wheeling, West Virginia. Oh, okay. So we're in a fresh <laughs> taping cycle, of course. <laughs> yeah, the big hotbed of uh, uh, Wheeling, West Virginia. I don't know. Let me look up this arena. The Civic Center. Civic Center. Uh, okay. Wheeling Civic Center. Let's see here. What other big events have taken place here? <laughs> The West Banco Arena can now. Um, it was built in 1977. 
the Wheeling Nailers ice hockey team, West Virginia Rough Riders indoor football team, and the OVC uh, or oh, oh yeah, Ohio Valley Conference wrestling tournament. So there you go. Let's see what about other events. <laughs> Right, yeah, well, not yeah, nothing, nothing major, you know. Just has hosted WWE Monster Jam, so of course, like no pay per views, nothing. Uh, Layer the cable guys <laughs> performed there, but a pretty, pretty nondescript arena for us uh, holds about fifty six hundred. So that kind of shows. I mean, that shows where it's at, you know. I mean, like the, we talked about it when they were in the Key mm-hmm. Arena in Seattle, how that was like a very lively taping and a big one for them. But you know, still uh, to go from Cleveland at uh, SummerSlam to this for their taping cycle, um, and I, and then we'll have to look on this taping cycle because I don't know, uh, or if you know this, but like the big. Uh, the nine six raw special edition raw was that yes. taped here? Oh, okay. So I think it was. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, they t- that, uh, yeah they taped eight nineteen nine six nine 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 sixteen <coughs> nine twenty three. Oh my! And I'm sorry. God. No, hang on, hang on. I'm waiting. Oh, okay. I was excited. Jesus Christ! It was eight nineteen nine six nine 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 sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, that's so it crazy. goes up to my game. Okay. So the usual stretch, um, and yes, we got a bulk recording. I come with SummerSlam, and it's interesting because they really did position this as like the new fall season. Yeah, and I remember this vividly from the time they really were hyping this kind of relaunch because it's in this time period coming up, in the weeks coming up, that uh, superstars would be the end of uh, syndication run, and it would move to USA. And it's become Sunday morning superstars, so no longer syndicated. And that pretty much was, I would say, the death knell of syndicated TV for them. Because obviously in the years to come, they'll still have like Shotgun and Metal and Jack and stuff. But for all intents and purposes, we're done with like prime level syndicated television. Livewire would be debuting soon on USA as well. And then as we'll see here, they make some changes aesthetically to Raw with a new announced team. And they really hype it up as kind of a reboot feel like did you get that feeling tuning into this and uh sad to see syndicated television go as well well um one i hope ryan gray has his notepad out because uh i don't know if you've uh, been privy but he's trying to mm-hmm. track 85 syndication which has been uh humorous i've received some aaron george-esque <laughs> uh, facebook audio messages over the past mm-hmm. couple of days over that mess but uh, I mean, syndication going away is sad. It it can be complicated, but <clears throat> as a WCW fan, you know, I have a uh, soft spot for them with some of that stuff. Like, I just watched a, uh, from 1990 today, a Nasty Boys versus Terry Taylor and Tommy Rich tag match that was on, hmm. I believe, worldwide, and, uh, you know, like nothing special, but a fun, you know, a fun little match that was happening on syndication. Um, so I mean, yeah, like I, I don't know, like I guess Sunday Night Heat that starts in '98, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sun, summer '98. Yeah. So Sunday Night Heat's probably the next show that actually of any substance that comes on. 
I don't really consider live wire. Well, I mean, well, I guess we'll see with Shotgun Saturday night. I don't I say know Shotgun early on definitely has some stuff. Yeah. I mean, they tried stuff, but it was pretty quick too. Like it's about mm-hmm. like eight weeks that they do all their yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. You know, Taker coming down the escalator, Sonny and Elmo. <laughs> they all that, and then it's back to just generic stuff. The um well in superstars they do try and give it a bump like a bunch of stuff happens in the fall of '96 on superstars and we'll see I think play out actually I think it becomes the busiest it's been in a while mm. and then it it's quickly I think by '97 it fades back out but they do try initially for the switch over to USA to make it important again we see some angles play out the only thing really in '96 on Raw that they've been promoting on superstars was that tag tournament so. yeah. And so we'll see in the fall some stuff picks up. And then, yeah, Shotgun starts in the new year, I think, right away. It was like almost New Year's. Yeah, it's like that week. January 6th, maybe, is the first episode. Yeah. So they Um, they have a lot of change, is kind of the point (laughs) going on here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Well, we also start right away with this new announced team. Yeah. uh, it's an interesting group. Um, well, hang on, because before that, we get the opening video package, which makes me laugh because it's Vince McMahon narrating the Boiler Room Brawl. Mm-hmm. And he said he asks the big question, has Undertaker expired? Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was quite the way to uh, ask that if he's if he's dead, I guess. But I mean, how many times did expired? they? Yeah. You know, how many times have they tried to kill Undertaker? Like he's been. When you order Rumble 94, they, <laughs> he, he dies a lot. But, yeah, so uh, they did that in the, uh, like, they showed, like, black and white still photos. Mm-hmm. So you, like, Vince right away tells us that Paul Bear, like, betrayed The Undertaker, but you don't see, like, him actually cracking him with the urn or whatever. You just see a right. photo. So Yeah, they still want that replay. Right. Um. Yeah, so that's we get that narration, and this we talked about this a bit on our SummerSlam episode when Taker lost, and it was absolutely the buzz at the at the time leading in, especially coming off of that match that Undertaker, like maybe done, and there was also rumors a that he was leaving or b that he would reappear here with a brand new overhaul look, and this was I believe where the white look was rumored to be. Like he was going to come back in all white, uh, I guess, as an angel (laughs) instead of the devil. I don't know. But um, those are the two big rumors I remember, at least kind of floating on the Internet at this time. Yeah, we talked about it feels like that's all, I guess, uh, chat room fodder because there's been no mention of that in. From the observer at all yeah no. so just bullshit online stuff I, i'd have to we could look at the herb notes the herb coons yeah. to see if he had that out there um i was also probably calling some of the hotlines at this point so i i, I don't know if it, it was very likely like you're saying just like aol chat room bullshit flying around but i do remember the way they had him lose the summer saying felt like it could be legitimate that he was gone or coming and or the way they do it here feels like maybe he's coming back with a refreshed look but yeah, because um, because I mean the big one is uh, Bulldog, which we'll get right. to. You know, like they did the final kind of <laughs> rushed in at the last minute and gave him an offer. And he stayed around. Yeah, so I mean maybe there was something to it, like take her talking, and then he ends up saying, but 
Uh, it would have been weird. I mean, but if there was ever a time for these guys to jump, like this is it in the Monday Night Wars. I mean, would it have been that shocking if Undertaker jumps to join the NWO with Nash and Hall? I mean, it wouldn't have been that crazy. Yeah, I mean, you that, could so. you could say that. Yeah. All right. So you, you referenced a brand new announced team, and Vince McMahon is out of the booth pretty much for the first time in Raw history, right? I mean, I know like there's been ones he's missed, but he's been the primary play-by-play man since the show launched in uh january 93 so he is now on the sideline for a bit and our old friend kevin kelly is now the lead (laughs) play-by-play man from monday night raw Uh, jerry lawler is present as always and jim ross we have a three-man booth with kk uh jr and the king for the fall season we'll see how long this lasts if it's just one taping cycle i don't remember i I know vince returns because he's there for like all of 97 so we'll see how long kevin lasts in this role but for right now, anyway, they seem to have pretty high hopes for him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he leads the charge in. Um, it's interesting that they gave him, I guess, the nod over Ross. Um, I don't – it felt like they always wanted Ross to be more like, I guess, like a specialist or like, a you know, somebody on assignment or interviewer. But Or I think they just wanted him even as like the face third man, like analyst role. So you kind of have the straight play-by-play man, you have the heel color guy, and then you have, like, JR, I think is supposed to be, like, the like I think it's, like, we, we, we kind of compared it to this, I think, at SummerSlam, but he's, like, a Tanay. I think he's supposed to be, like, the insider, because he talks a lot about the hotline, he talks about the news, like, I think they were really, at this point, too, hyping the hotline more in the Ross report, so I think they were yeah. trying to hype him more as, like, an insider that would bring the, you know, the news on the backstage or the insights on the match, and and kind of offset King's nonsense and then let Kevin or Vince, you know, whoever's being the main guy, just kind of call the action. I think that was meant to be the attempt here. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. So we'll see how it plays it out, but we have our opening match, which is going to kick off the brand new IC title tournament. Of course, the intercontinental title was vacated when Ahmed Johnson was hurt by Farouk. Uh, and instead of just handing the belt to Farouk, they uh, gorilla monsoon vacated it. And Kevin runs through the full brackets, which we'll talk about as we go through this. And the King thinks it's a conspiracy because in this opening match is Owen Hart taking on the British Bulldogs. So Camp Cornette being ripped apart at the seams here in the first round of the tournament. The King also knows that Shawn Michaels has to face Yokozuna tonight. But JR reveals Michaels will take on Mankind in your house. And Undertaker will battle Goldust in a final Kurt match. So we get a lot of quick news out of the gate here. Yeah, yeah. They basically blow uh, through the two biggest matches on the next pay-per-view. They announced it right out of the gate. And then the big main event tonight, which was the old rumor. <laughs> that was another chat room rumor back in May. Sean would lose to Yoko, oh, uh, the man. world title. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think they actually even said it was non-title at the end of the night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was yeah. back in like May or something. Yeah, I know. Yes, here saying, like, yeah, even when he waddles out, Kevin's <laughs> like, this is not title. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get this slot on the title match. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the Bulldogs work in the face roll. We get a hot start. We get some shine, even place to the crowd. Uh, we also, again, for the fall refresh, we have a brand new apron. It's like the generic Dirty F Blue one, not the kind of dark, usual look we have for Raw. Uh, yeah. But we do still have the Raw letter entrance, though. So that has stayed with us here. The crowd's pretty hot early. Both guys cut a good pace. Ross says we'll learn more about Raw Championship Friday later, so we'll get into that. 
Uh, pretty good chemistry, I thought, out of the gate. I thought Ross and Kevin actually added some good legitimacy and narration and insights um, versus just like Vince and King bantering back and forth. I thought it was actually a bit of a, re- a refreshing sound to have them actually calling the action and talking about the storylines. And I, I think this goes in line with what we'll see become a trend in this proto-attitude era where we don't have the shades of gratitude yet, but we have like the tough man, like realistic type of stuff that they go for. And I think they were aiming for more of an athletic type presentation. I think that's why they thought maybe Kevin and JR could add that here. It's more of a realistic presentation. Uh, and on the heels of that, Ross says we have Undertaker's essence and spirit in the arena tonight. <laughs> so still a little hokiness. Uh, we get some fuzzy static over the picture. Kevin says this stuff has been happening all day. Uh, Ross infers it's Undertaker messing with things. King just blames it on being in Wheeling. Bulldog gets a power slam. Owen gets to the ropes. It's Shunny, uh, Sunny comes out. She's busting up the flow of the match and busting out of, out of something else. She's wearing a yellow sundress and just, you know, it's next level here. She shits on Cornette, who's not here. She says she would be here if she was managing them, uh, if she was their manager. Cornette's backstage, and he says he doesn't want to pick sides and cause trouble, but WF is against his camp. Cornette also refers to Yokozuna as Yokozuna as my 650 pounder, which shocks the announcer. So he's hinting at maybe Yoko being back in the, in the fold here. Nice spot from Bulldog. He suplexes Owen to the floor. Owen cracks him with a spin heel kick as these guys really open it up. Bulldog falls into Sonny and ends up getting counted out. So Owen Hart advances. Sonny grabs a soda and, and uh, throws it at Bulldog. Some old guy in the crowd tells Bulldog what happened. Sonny calls Bulldog a pervert. And she uh, says he tried to look under her skirt. Jim Cornette comes out and calls her a slut. And says she tried to steal his talent. as she's putting over Owen. And then Sonny hides behind the king until things calm down. And that uh, fetters out. So I thought this was pretty good. Uh, I feel like it could have been better if we actually focus on it and has some more time and a cleaner finish. Instead, it's really kind of used to um, almost like as a backdrop to establish the changes coming, the big matches being announced, and then the Cornette stuff at play as well. Uh, so I, I think it could have been more if it was focused on more. But as is, it's fine. Uh, it had an exciting feel to it. It's a good way to open up the tourney in the night. So I went two and three quarters, Chad. But uh, it felt a little bit like going through the motions just because I think they didn't put the amount of focus they should or could have on it. Yeah, I did two and a half. I thought this was pretty mundane until uh, the final stretch, which I thought really helped the match a lot. Um, I don't know if it was just like Davy Boy being, I guess, annoyed or he's kind of been shuffled down the card, which we've talked about. Or just both of them being heels and like Davey being the de facto babyface in this match and getting most of the cheers. But I, the opening stanza I thought was pretty lazy when Bulldog just had the chin lock in. Um, I was going to ask you about the technical difficulties. Uh, I, I don't know hmm. how I felt about that because, I mean, one thing is just kind of hokey in nature. Uh, right. But but second, it's like you are only what four months removed, three months removed from Beware of Dog, or what are your mm-hmm. pay per views legitimately got <laughs> True. freaking wiped yeah. out? So maybe not the best idea of having the static and the picture flickering. Because um, the first time it happened, I thought it might have been like the the connection the on yeah. Peacock, like like when they converted oh, okay. it. You know, I was like, oh, wow, this this tape, the master must be corrupted until Ross was, or who, Kevin Kelly, whoever said, like, this has been happening all day, and then, you know, it's like the Undertaker, but um, 
I, th- I thought that was odd. But uh, the final, once they went to the floor, well, really once uh, Owen blocked on the sharpshooter, I thought the match really stepped up. The suplex uh, from the apron to the floor looked really good. The forearm by Davey and spinning kick from Owen on the floor was good. Uh, Sonny and Cornette's chemistry was uh, really mm-hmm. good as well. They had already had some interaction in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and when they uh, interacted with each other in that promotion, it was always well done. So that continued over here. So this wasn't a bad start, but, I mean, to me, this does sometimes, um, you know, it's like a match that I wouldn't say was bad. It's two and a half for me. It's replacement level, but, again, it's one of those, like, when – you look at it on paper, and when you think about a promotion that's really like cooking, this is when you have like a real good match. And I mean, of course, these two right. will have like what I think is a great match in just mm-hmm. seven or eight months on Raw. So, well, there's a big difference. Them. And I was thinking of it as you, before you even said that it was like the difference is it's not it's not presented here as a big match, as a focus, as a main event. Like this is a match you close the show with and really hype it and and call it as such like it, it, opening a show is when you're spending all your time laying out the show ahead you're setting up your themes like it's a tough it's tough to ever have it there and really focus on it because if you think of it even the great cruiserweight openers like a lot of the time like yeah they're flying around and they're really fun and hot but the the commentary and everything else is still all over the place most for most of it so it's like if they really wanted to hype this and let them really go out and tell a story they would have been better served to maybe close the show with this, but it's just coming off of SummerSlam. They had so much to do. This almost would have been better like the next week when they probably have less going on. Yeah. I mean, this, I think this shows just again, like where the formula as far as match quality was at in raw right now. I mean, I don't know how much these two will wrestle uh, in this taping, but that's part of it too. Like if you know you're gonna have right, they can't another out, match yeah. or performance or something like that. It's like you know you can't really empty the holster here. And as far as the the problems like the Undertaker stuff, I, I think they probably could have just kept it to like the lights flickering in the arena or something. Yeah, because you kind of know that symbolizes <laughs> him. Yeah, the, the static and the noise is probably <laughs> Undertaker's more, in the um, production truck. Uh. Yeah, whether well, they try to say like his essence was like causing interference, maybe I don't. I don't know what they're trying to do, but um, I get like I don't. Again, it, at least they're trying like creative stuff, but it just definitely when you look at what's going on, WCW continues to come off as a little bit hokier and. I put a lot of them on the feet of Cornette. I, think, I mean, like, I'm not trying to bag him on everything, but he had a heavy hand all through this year, 95, 96. And you can see the type of corny stuff that, like, he did, you know, in other areas, too. And maybe this worked in the 80s, but now we're inching toward a time period where it's just not going to connect as much. Yeah, he has some good touches with some stuff on this show, but there's also some hoginess, too. So. All right, we get a it's recap uneven. video of the issues. Between uh, Farouk and Ahmed Johnson, Mark Henry comes out. Uh, we saw him in SummerSlam. He meets with some fans <laughs> as the king takes a shit on him. And that brings us to our next match, which is Vader, fresh off his big loss to Shawn Michaels last night against uh, old Freddie Joe Floyd. And it's a big big night for the camp. So Vader's out with Cornette. We've already seen Bulldog and Owen, and rumor has it that Cornette's going to be with Yoko later. So we'll see. Uh, JR and King bicker over Mark Henry's actions at SummerSlam. Vader works over to Henry and flexes at him as Henry just laughs and smiles, which is kind of an odd response. I guess it was just kind of like a nervous, he didn't know what to do type of thing. But 
is going to last back at Vader. Uh, Floyd attacks the bell. Vader takes over. Cornette hops in the booth, and he's on fire right away. On and on about Vader beating Sean twice, not getting the title. Cornette also says Yoko realized Jim Cornette's the one who took him to the top and that he asked Cornette to guide him tonight. The technical issues continue as Vader just kind of mauls Freddie Joe and finishes him with a pair of Vader bombs. And really just a quick squash to rehab Vader. I think we need more of this from him and less of the bully punch in the mouth bullshit that we've been talking about a lot throughout this year. Uh, this is more the dominant Vader you'd like to see, just murdering a jobber. So I, I went one star, not much here. Really just more of a uh, hype going on for um, Camp Cornette. Yeah, I went one star as well, but um thought it was fine as a way to rehab Vader um, coming off the walls. And about as good as you could probably hope for, considering that, like, they've already announced that it's going to be Mankind versus Sean at the next pay-per-view. So mm-hmm. there's really not, like, a set feud for Vader right now. Um, right. So, I mean, if he's going to do anything, him destroying uh, kind of your job or two-year stars uh, variety, including Freddie Joe Floyd, that's good. I mean, he looked good here. Cornette was good on commentary, too. Yeah. Yeah, this is where it's better with Cornette, like stuff like this, where he's really pushing over a storyline or an angle. And this is a much better use of Vader. Like, this is what he should have been doing all this time, is just destroying these guys and go on murder tours. So we'll see. I'm assuming the plan at this point is to rehab Vader for a rematch down the line. We'll see if that continues. Yeah. All right. Ross gets in the ring. He brings out Mankind and Paul Bearer. They talked through last night's events. Barra says he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's tired of carrying Undertaker for six years around the world. He's led him to titles and everything else. He's tired of being abused. The lights flicker again as Ross says we can feel the essence and the presence of the Undertaker. But Barra says this is mankind's power and spirit as he hands him over the urn. Ross reminds us that Shawn Michaels felt the mandible claw a few weeks ago. And now mankind has got the shot at the gold in your house. Mankind says his body is racked with pain, but he loves it. Since his birth in the WWF, he's winning has ever been his priority, just creating misery. Bear has shown him that by defeating Michaels in your house, not only will he make Sean the least sexy boy toy in the world, he'll have a chance to destroy the lives of the clique, and that will make him happy. He'll pin his shoulders to the mat and then put him to a hospital bed. JR says the Undertaker is here. He ain't gone. We can feel his presence, and the crowd gets fired up by that. Bear denies it. Says the Undertaker is gone. He's passed away. And as he says that, the gong hits, the lights dip, the druid music hits, and we see a series of druids, uh, ones that had carried Undertaker out of SummerSlam, now carry his body back to the ring. Mankind says it's just his dried-up dead carcass, and Taker tried to play mind games, and it's history, just like the WF title will be. Bear says that this is his plan to show his decaying corpse. He'll never rest in peace. Bear says Taker is nothing without him, and they'll always be that way, and they'll bow in silence for the corpse. The Druids put Taker in the aisle, and Barra says he's gone forever. But then the gong hits again, and Undertaker sits up to a huge pop. We get the flames shooting up from the corners as Mankind and Barra scatter, and that is that. And I, I thought this was well done. I have some issues with how, not how they executed this, but just the overall plan that we could talk about. But in this moment, I thought it was fine. I mean, the crowd was super hyped for it. It felt like a big deal. It felt kind of eerie. It felt honest and open. Uh, Barra was on fire. I thought Mankind hung in too. And while I thought like some of the stuff earlier, like you said, with the flickering shit could be hokey. Like I thought they actually nailed this piece. Um, my big issue is that Undertaker came back too early. I thought like yeah. he, they could have, they could have played this out for a few weeks. 
and really hyped it up. And you could even involve Goldust if you want to have the match in your house. Spend two weeks with Goldust mocking that he's dead too. And then Taker shows up and maybe like wipes out Mankind and Goldust like while they're having an interview, like dodging him or something or dogging him. Um, I, I'm guessing the part of them wanted to kill the WCW rumors uh, by having him come out because maybe they're thinking, well, people may tune to Nitro because they think Taker is going to show up. So maybe something along those lines. So they said, well, we'll just have him come out here. So like rumors don't blow over for weeks of him going because I mean, they announced Taker at, at, in your house, like, within the first two minutes of the show, like before he even comes back to life. They <laughs> right, say he's right, playing that's true so, too. Yeah. so it seems like they wanted to eliminate any potential. And even if it wasn't a rumor rumor, maybe just the idea that he could go given everything going on with everyone jumping, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't want to give Bischoff, you know, two weeks of even just fake teasing that taker could be showing up. Right. Cause he's obviously, you know, not against doing something like that. So it wouldn't shock me if that's part of why they do it this early on, but I think they could have benefited to have a couple weeks of no taker to tease as being actually gone. And then he makes like a surprise return. Now I get this was also taped, right? So that surprise return probably would have been spoiled anyway. So victim of the cycle that we've talked about the way they, they do things like may there's, there's no opportunity to really do a surprise like that outside of the first taping. So, I mean, do you think like, they already had mapped out the finish of the mind games main event. Um, I don't know this again. There's so many rumors around that too out there, but I don't, I don't know how many were just like, again, internet, you know, Coons, Keith level stuff where it's just like word of mouth spread and then twisted around because there's the rumors that mankind was supposed to win. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if, Mankind was going to win. I, I I thought all along the plan was to go to Sean Vader at Survivor Series. So I mean, I wonder yeah. if you could have held off Taker's return to that, and until after have, Mind Games, or just that uh, that's the finish. That's what called. Oh yeah, the yeah, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes out. That would have yeah. been cool. I mean, do we really need Taker Goldust like a third time? That I mean, outside of right. Will, is anyone that upset right. that we're going to have that match a third time? You could have found someone else to fight Goldust. Freaking roll Marrow out there again, like whatever. Like, like there are guys they could have found on this roster to take on Goldust in that spot, um, and and save Taker's return. I think I went with that approach. The only negative downside I can see is what I just talked about. Like they didn't want to get Bischoff the window for a month to to tease Taker and feed into like ratings there, which I think was right. a real concern. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> the ratings. Um, I mean, it, it's just interesting because it's, it's one of those things where like, I mean, we'll see if it holds up, but I have no reason not to think it will that, you know, mankind Sean's one of the best matches really in company history. Um, but from a logical booking standpoint, uh, it feels like a little bit of an odd feud. Um, because I mean, like on this night, like Paul has just turned, so right. he has to talk about that. And then the undertaker comes back. So like in this segment, now we're only what two, there's two more episodes because they take next week off. So there's only two more episodes till the pay-per-view. And in this segment, it certainly felt like more Taker versus Mankind than Mankind versus Sean. Like, it was kind of an afterthought. It, it's going to be a weird build, I think, for sure. Like you said, it's it's limited time. 
they're going to have to really overdrive. I mean, they're going to have the Friday special, I guess, but yeah. um, we'll that's not going to help a ton. So, yeah, no, they, they got some work to do for sure to get this card over. I'm guessing kind of what you're talking about, too, is why they probably didn't uh, or why they probably did rush those announcements out within the first two seconds mm-hmm. of Raw yeah. to get anyone that may be switching over to Nitro or back and forth. And they know they're only going to have a few weeks to get the shit over. So they, they're rolling out a chunk of the card like immediately. It yeah, is kind of crazy they did announce Taker's match like. Right. Two minutes after Vince on the voiceover says he may is be he dead. dead. You know, it's like. Well, oh, and they don't wow. even tease it. They should have at least said, like, if he is here, he'll face Goldust. If not, we'll have a replacement. Like, like that's a little attention to detail they could have hit, right? And said, okay, well, look, we're operating under the assumption that he's going to be here. But if not, Goldust will have a replacement. For right now, we're planning on Taker Goldust. Like, just give right. us that, you know? That doesn't blow it out, out of the door right away. But it just seemed like they were not going to mess around. They just wanted him back on TV. There, this big fall season premiere and all this other shit. So. I mean, as far as this segment, like the aesthetic of it, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a little weird, like the goals <laughs> dropping him right at ringside. But um, and then when he does raise up, like that's a really cool moment. Has a good at mm-hmm. camera angle. Um, <laughs> I guess the fire. Uh, missed its cue because he he like does that kind of sudden arm raised and nothing happens and then he like raises his arms again the fire comes out but you know that was i don't know that that, that happened where the fire had come out of all four posts i didn't recall that i'm so I know it's so conditioned from Kane. I know, but yeah, so I don't Kane like caned out that it's like oh, that yeah. might have been one of the first like, times. I don't yeah. know if that's happened. Um, I mean, it, it looked cool, and then like Paul and Mankind hightailing it were good. I mean, I thought Mankind was really strong in this segment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about that, but given what he had to do, I thought it was strong with him that him with the urn and Paul saying he had the power, like. You don't necessarily know if he's using it for mind games, if he's, you know, demented enough that he believes it. It's it's a lot right. of uh, it's a lot of like psychological stuff that he does excellently throughout this run here. Well, we know that that's been our best feud and, you know, the stuff we've been most interested in. Right. It continues. So it's it's really carried a lot of this year since Mania yes. uh, through some you know up and downs. So. Yeah, I mean right. it's been it's been their showcase feud for months now, so it's still going. We get a vignette for the uh, oh, soon to be God. arriving stalker who will be coming to hunt the Dodie of superstars, and it will be deadly. And Ke- Kevin blows the spot up right away. Yeah. He says Barry Windham is coming back. <laughs> Barry they call him the stalker Barry Windham. So I mean, yeah, there's uh, he's he's blowing everybody's cover tonight. So. <laughs> Yeah, I get the stalker idea where he wants to stalk opponents, but like I don't think they needed to make him an actual stalker. <laughs> they could have probably done it a little bit differently, but why? I mean, why does WWF just insist on giving this guy a terrible gimmick? Like, I don't know. Between yeah. the Widowmaker and this, like, what what was and the fascination? There's more to like, come. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I don't know why it just wasn't Barry Windham. Right. I mean, he's not necessarily a. I mean, understand, like, he's not, like, I, I, I think Vince 
just sees like Barry Wendell and thinks, oh, another cowboy. I mean, you know, like there's right. so like there's 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 multifaceted versions of that. Um, I, I mean, Barry Barry not doing himself any favors, right? Like, I mean, he's fat, he's beaten <laughs> up here, so that's not good. Well, either, I but. think low key is this his longest WF run? Because I think he's around until early '98. I mean, and, in '89 he wasn't around at all. Uh, for like, it, six what's months. his first run? It's not that long, right? His first run, a year. Uh, yeah, it depends on when he got there in '84. So, but this might be it. Yeah, because yeah, he's definitely there at least until like winter of '98, heading into Mania. So, oh boy. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of stalkers slash uh, Barry Windham coming on. <laughs> All right, time for our next match, and that is a Final Four Battle Royal featuring Savio Vega, Goldust, Steve Austin, and Psycho Sid. And I guess these four uh, were the four remaining gentlemen in the Battle Royal that Ahmed Johnson won back in July. Ahmed was supposed to get that world title match against Sean the night after SummerSlam. Uh, but because of the injury, obviously he had to give up that title chance. So Sean's going to fight Yoko instead tonight. And these four guys will get another chance to earn a title match against Shawn Michaels on uh, Friday Raw, Championship Friday Raw coming up. So, and JR hypes that. So yeah, this is fine. Um, they kind of felt like they owed like a big title match still with a different contender. So we get that. We get an inset promo from Austin, which is based, you know, some basic hype for him. Sid fires up the crowd as he comes out. Everyone teams up on Sid and they eliminate him like immediately. <laughs> and I thought that was a, a poor decision uh, to do that. Uh, he comes back in after the elimination, he cleans house and then he leaves. I thought it was a good strategy by Austin Vega and Goldust, but sad to see Sid go because he was the most over by far in this match. And it kind of dulls the crowd a bit and takes away like something really potentially cool, which could be Sid versus Sean for the title. So even if he's not going to win, I think having him last a little bit longer could have been beneficial. I get, maybe you don't want him just get eliminated by like one guy. So at least having everyone team up on him protects him. But I don't know. I felt like they could have gotten more out of him here. Beyond that, yeah. it's all bait. Everyone is going to rotate. Yeah, good. Well, they had some booking problems here. With this match. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got Sid, who's, I mean, basically, you got two guys that are on the rise and Sid and Austin, and then an upper level heel, which we talked about. I mean, the heel, heel stable as far as challengers for the championship are, <laughs> are pretty, pretty weak around this time. I mean, uh, Sean's already dispatched of Owen and Bulldog about as much as you can, so you can't really mm-hmm. go to them. He's got the pay per view match with Mankind. You don't want to really go to Taker or not Taker, but Vader again mm-hmm. so soon. So after that, you're, I mean, you know, it seemed pretty obvious that one of the two heels here would win. Um, I, I mean, I guess not because Ahmed versus Sean's a face versus face right. That match. was a match. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, you weren't going to blow off Sid. I, they were kind of boxed into right because they did yeah. this final four. And these were the final four. So, like, like they were kind of stuck with these four guys. Unless they would have just had Monsoon instead say, we're going to name four new contenders 
in the Battle Royal. I wonder setting. who was like the last two. Was it? I can't even recall now. But like, it'd been good if it was Sabio and like Goldust. You just could have said, well, these two are fighting to see, or you know, right. some bull crap. But because who did I man eliminate at the end? It was uh, was it Goldust? I can't even remember. Yeah, I remember him were... hanging on to the ropes. Remember yeah, he flips the yeah. guy out of the ring. Right. It may have been Goldust, which is I guess it had to be. Yeah, then Duke Goldust just put Sabio. I mean, whatever. I mean, because, yeah, like, from a kayfabe standpoint, like said, being eliminated by three guys is smart. And he does come in and choke slam everybody to get his heat back to a nice mm-hmm. pop. So it's, it's not like he lost stuff, but it does look a little dumb that he, like, gets this big interest, this great reaction, and then literally a minute in, it's like, oh, he's gone. <laughs> it's like, damn, what happened? Yeah, it was it was disappointing, and um, but I mean, you're not gonna hot shot Sid Sean, right? You're gonna save that. That yeah. could be a potential money match, and then, I mean, I think they could have done Austin. Could have been mm-hmm. cool. Like, I mean, they're kind of protecting him, but not super protecting him. And I believe he actually gets a title match at a future taping in the fall. Like he he fights Sean on a Raw for the title coming up. So. They could have done that to at least make it different. Well, yeah, if they do that, then my thing is they should have went that route. I mean, if they right. blow that match, then they should have just done that. Here oh, yeah, they do. It's I think it's the week before Buried Alive they do it. Well, yeah, Maybe. so then that's, this is really fucking stupid. I mean, what they probably should have just done is, I mean, we're rebooking them for 25 years. But, I mean, they could have had Sid and... Goldust, like Goldust, as we talked about, is tall mm-hmm. enough to where he could go toe to toe with Sid. I mean, you could have some bull crap where they dump each other or some mess, and then then Sean, I mean, then Steve beats up Savio like he's been doing. I mean, but you can talk about what happened, but I had I had problems with it. I think it could have been cool if Mero was in the spot. Yeah, like, I mean, he's if somebody trying to do a too. random. Yeah, if you try to do like a random match on a random Raw Friday, like Mero versus Sean could have been a cool little oddity match. I know like Hunters and freaking still punished, right? Or whatever, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's not. He, no, he, he could have been it, but yeah. He's, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like any other heels that would have been somewhat viable. Um, no, I think I mean, Goldust. I mean, I, I feel like we're downplaying Goldust a bit. Like, I think we're just kind of tired of him, but I think they still saw him as, like, a top guy. I mean, yeah. he's fighting Taker at, at In Your House. He was just IC champ. Like, been in big, big stuff. Yeah, I don't he, have he an issue Arrow with... The night before. I don't have an issue with Goldust winning here. It's more like how Sid got eliminated. Yeah. And then, as we'll get to with Austin... I mean, really, Savio dumping Austin, I think, is even more egregious. Because it's hey, like hey, back to the big end it's of the like season. that's a feud that Austin definitively won. We've talked about it. Like Austin, as far as the hotness, is ahead of Savio. Like right. Well, Savio technically won the feud though, right? I guess. Yeah, DiBiase went away, but yeah, yeah. okay. So Savio won the feud. Yeah. So I mean, just enough of this. Like Austin right. should be ahead of Savio. Like Savio should not be cleanly eliminating Austin, even in something like this. And that happened. And you could have had even something like Bulldog and Owen attack Sid in the aisle before the match and like 
take him out of the match or something. Invader, maybe Camp Cornette's pissed and they attack him. Because yeah, I mean, Sid just did fight Bulldog the night before. They've been feuding. It could have been a way to get extra heat on Vader. So you could have done that too. Like he just gets attacked in the aisle um, as he's coming down and pull out of the match. And then it's just three guys. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> enough rebooking of that. Uh, we roll <laughs> on, um, you know, rotate this in Austin. Austin's really dealing the hardest offense through this. A lot of the hardest strikes. We get the Stridex biggest slam of the week, which is Mark Merrow's debut of the wild thing at SummerSlam. We get a nice spot when Goldust is a big superplex on Austin. JR's hyping tonight's main event. He reminds us it looks like Yoko and Cornette have reconciled. <clears throat> Savio shoots Austin out with a slingshot, which leads us with the, like you said, least interesting options of this match. Vega and Goldust. Vega comes close to winning, but Goldust pitches him out to win and nab the title shot. And this felt very paint by numbers. And this is like the live episode of this taping. And this felt very low energy. Um, Austin has always works hard. And I would have had him eliminate Sid to, to end the match if you're going to knock, like, unless you really want to protect Sid. But it could have been a really big night for Austin if he eliminates Sid here. And then, you know, Sean beats him by DQ or something on Friday. Like, if you're going to continue to push him, this would have been a cool way to do it. But, again, we've rebooked enough. So, I went two and a quarter. I, I this was this was kind of disappointing given what was involved. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't starting a half. I, I didn't like this <laughs> much at all. I Savio's becoming a pretty big problem for me just because right. he's not, he's pretty low energy. He's, uh, getting go away. He, it, it's just, he kind of exemplifies right now. He's like kind of the holdover from the big doldrums of the fall of 95. Like he's right. kind of that carryover where that's is that your big issue with him? Peak. I don't. Th- I, th- I think my big issue. I mean, one issue I have with him is he's still someone that's hyped a lot, and he's just somebody right. I'm lower on. Never seen it. Like, I know like Chris Zoner likes him a lot, but even like in his TNT stuff from Puerto Rico, I've he he's good, fine to good, but nothing like exceptional. I mean, like he, I believe he's nominated for like greatest wrestler ever. <laughs> oh wow. I don't know how far I have to go, but I mean, even maybe in my top, he wouldn't be, I think I can safely say Savio wouldn't be in my top 250 right now. So that's, he may just be somebody I'm lower on, but I I don't know. I I don't get it. But right now, I think my biggest issue is he's, I mean, they have some fun faces that like Ahmed and, uh, he, I mean, Marrow, we've talked about this. That was an issue, too, where mm-hmm. just the face reaction right now doesn't feel very authentic. I mean, you can even say that for Sean to a degree. Right. It's uh, yeah. they, We're due for some shuffling. We definitely yeah. are. Like, I think a big problem is Bulldog and Owen have been positioned as such top heels, but they're so thoroughly beaten by this point um, that, like, they're not really believable. I actually like the direction they go with them coming up. I think it made sense given where they stood. Right. I think we just need some. I think we need a couple of changes. Like I think Austin getting pushed up the card will would help, and that's coming very soon. Um, you know, mankind going up the card has has been great. Vader, if they can reestablish him, but I, I do think there's like one too many on the faces. I I think a Mero heel turn, and then, they were planning it at some point anyway, so they obviously knew it. So I think a Mero heel turn maybe a little sooner could have been helpful to them. Uh, but maybe they feel like with Ahmed out, they had another gap. Another issue out here, too, is Farouk 
it looks like a goof. <laughs> like, like I think yeah. if he didn't look so stupid, like they could have maybe done more with him too. Cause I mean, they really just added like friggin' Ron Simmons coming off a pretty hot ECW run to their roster. Like this should have been a bigger deal. And I feel like he's not even really being looked at as like a threat at all. He's just in the middle of this tournament. So there's another guy you could have stuck in this battle Royal and had him fight Sean at Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off injury and got mad. Like we didn't even mention him. That's so much of an afterthought. He feels like already. Yeah. I mean, he could have been an option. I don't know if they had plans for that to be a higher profile match. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, them going with Goldust. Cause I mean, you could have seen Goldust versus Sean to be like a December pay-per-view mm-hmm. match, you know, or, and don't they actually do do a dark match at like Buried Alive? Buried Alive, so, yeah. Right, right. So it's 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 a match that wouldn't have been crazy on like a in your house. So. I I think the the problem and we see in it is that they did this major overhaul of the roster and they're rebuilding using mid carters from both promotions, right? Like they've imported a lot of guys that weren't main eventers from WCW and even to an extent, a couple of guys from ECW, and then they're moving their own guys up the card. And really outside of Vader and undertaker. And I guess Sean, right? Like with Brett gone, they don't really have any like long-term main event guys. They're, they're completely building all these guys into main eventers. So like, I don't know how much that, plays a role in this too that all these guys don't really feel like top level guys yet like a bunch of them get there obviously like austin and mankind and others Mm -hmm. get to that point but they're really living off a bunch of career mid-card guys that they're trying to elevate all at once yeah it's interesting my last uh hypothetical is i mean you're chronicling it right now in ecw but think like if shane douglas hadn't left and would have been able to give a gimmick and you know, they would have played ball with the click like Shane Douglas versus Sean mm-hmm. would have been a great feud around this time to fill a month or two. So and, and it's, it's lazy to say Shane. Oh, well, what he was doing wouldn't have gotten over. But, but like, I mean, as someone who's living his 96 right now, he is red hot as a heel and he is not doing anything he couldn't have done in WWF. He's not right. using extreme violence. He's not using vulgarity. He is, but it's not needed. Like he could be getting over just as much without it in what he's doing. It's just a, a believable violent feud that he's been involved in with the pit bull, right? He stole yep. his woman, he broke his neck and like, it's, it's, you know, and he's, he had like a master plan that he's turned other guys and played them off each other. Like it's all stuff that he could have done easily here. Yeah. And built so- him as a franchise as a heel uh, and, and going against Sean, I a hundred percent agree with you. And they let him walk for nothing because of stupid issues with the click. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's where they're at in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, just yeah. right. But they get they're they're at least in better shape than they were a year ago. Like, they're in better shape. But, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, like we could probably still have some of these discussions even like a year from now when you think right. about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like sure, like people like Hunter and Mankind still will be good. And, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting, like, around SummerSlam 97. Like, that'll be a good point to look at and see who do we think is, like, a bona fide star in this promotion mm-hmm. now. Well, that's another guy you said, too, before that we didn't really talk about was Hunter. Like, I'm sure they had more plans for him, and now he's getting yeah. punished. Like, so that's another heel. Right, right. And 
They brought Brian Pillman into a big money deal, right? To be like a top guy. And he's fucked up. He can't wrestle and do much. Right. So it's like, you know, they brought these dudes in that have either just, you know, a guy like Mero, who's not really connected or a guy like Pillman or even Vader, who was hurt for a while and took a while to get going. Or just other self-imposed issues like with Hunter. Yeah, like that's a guy they, they were just building up and seeing a lot of, you know, putting a lot of faith in. And then they had to punish him for what happened and have to. But that's also like kind of that's also kind of like going. I mean, we're still in the transition to where, you know, 96 is the first year they have 12 pay-per-view shows, too. So even though In Your House isn't a big show, you know, compared to some of the other ones, it was so much easier in, like, 92, 93, you know, 91 to just, I mean, stretch these feuds out so much. Like, I mean, again, like, I'm in October of 1990, and Macho's feuding a little bit with, like, Dusty or whatever, but... I mean, he's already talking about the Ultimate Warrior, and that's a match that happens at WrestleMania, and this is October. Right. Like, they just stretched and stretched and stretched um, because they could. Like, you know, all you had to do was get that, like, one, you know, that one-minute promo or, one, you know, that little jab on superstars, and that, that set you for the week, and then mm-hmm. you were good. You didn't have to have, like, a pay-per-view match. You know, when you have these pay-per-views and these big stars are on there, it's like, well, why not? You know, so it's it's a uh, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it and two, it's just contrasted to WCW. I mean, like WCW feels so flush too around this time. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, we'll get to their show, but you think about, I mean, we talked about this, but it's mainly been in the argument of like, well, you know, WCW has all these people on their show, and WWF is staggering. Well. On this night, I mean, this is a nitro that in mm-hmm. front of the live crowd does not have the outsiders, Hogan, uh, or Hogan. So the big three in the NWO do not appear in front of the live crowd. It's but you know all... what? It's a, it's a general strategy that worked for them was that, and Bischoff said, has said it, like they brought those guys in to have believable top guys. Like the question is how well will they integrate the new talent into that level, right? But they... They do have all the stars, whether they're on every episode or not. They're they have them there, and that was their plan strategy was to bring in these big names to put on top of promotion while building underneath them. The WF strategy now has become we're just going to build up our own stars without that ceiling on top of it, and see who can break through and and take over. Right. So it's right. It, it, those are both approaches that were taken um, in different directions, and for right now, it, the WCW approach is is slaughtering them. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the most anyone's ever said about that battle royal. I guarantee you. <laughs> we get a SummerSlam highlight package to hype up the replay coming. Jim Cornette's then backstage for the 19th time tonight. He's oh, hyped yeah. up a lot of Cornette here. All over the show. Uh, being back in the fold, and he's going to take home the gold tonight. And that sets up our main event as Shawn Michaels defends his World Wrestling Federation heavyweight title against Yoko Zuna. Who's resurfaced? He's been out for, again for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we saw him at SummerSlam on the free for all when he fell. The rope broke. But other than that, we haven't really seen him. Uh, actually, was that his return from when he the forklift? It might have yeah, been. it was, and I was surprised they actually showed that clip when he comes out. Um, I mean, I, yeah, well, just real quick. I mean, we did not need this Cornette promo in front of no. the thing. Like, you know, that was oversaturation. But 
Uh, this has been too much, too much Yo, Yoko, Yoko coming out. I mean, this was, uh, I mean, in retrospect, like, you know, this is it. You know, he, he's, you hear mm-hmm. that he was so fat, he was in mo but I mean, it was. He, with the beard and with the long hair, like, this was just, he just looked sloppy and fat. Like, there's no other, he looked like, he sad, looked, too, coming yeah, out. He just looked yeah. sad. It's a, it's a very, I mean, it's sad. This is a former champion, so. Yeah, it's just that it's a guy that could have still been, like, he was just his own worst enemy. Um, if he could have gotten any semblance of control over himself, like, I, I think they loved him. Like, I think they would have kept him, they kept trying to run him back out there, you know? Like, they did not want to give up on this guy. Like, he was beloved backstage. They saw him as a star at a time they needed stars. He is absolutely a guy that if he could have just... You know, and I know they push him to gain weight, but if he could have just dialed it back a little bit and been, you know, not on the verge of breaking down or dying at all times, they probably would have stuck with him. I think there's also a reason you're telling me Hogan didn't. I know that's always like the joke and the rumor. You're telling me Hogan would have died to have him show up on Nitro and beat him and get his win back at some point. But I think they didn't want to take the liability either, you know. So it's it's sad to see what happened to him over these couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it is a little crazy. He never shows up on Nitro. But, right. Yeah. You know, I think at least once Hogan would have. Right. Not he's, just, he's just so far gone. So. All right. Well, you get clips of Austin beating him on the free for all. Uh, Michaels dances out with the belt. He gets a good pop. Right back after it, after the tough night at SummerSlam with Vader. JR gushes over Sean, says Vince isn't there to do it. Ross, Ross fills in. <laughs> Uh, Yoko uses some power early, but Sean starts to move and use the speed. JR asks why Cordette's not out there, as he's been saying he was going to be all night. Sean knocks Yoko down, and on cue, out comes Cornette right before the break, as usual for the tease. Yoko is taking control as we come back. He's got his usual nerve hold. Cornette goes over and just attacks Jose Lothario for no reason. It's over the cheap shot. That draws out Sean for the save. Sean bumps all around for Yoko from there. Yoko's really not moving much. It's really like Sean is pinballing off of him. Uh, Yoko does hit a nice belly to belly. We get the cool camera shake as Yoko misses a big splash. And at least Sean's comeback and easy victory uh, to retain his title. So, uh, look, whatever. I mean, I think Yoko looks like a fucking goof um, in all this. Like, the ring breaks the night before, and Austin lays on him to win. Here he looks just so sad. They show the forklift. Um, and Sean just beats him pretty soundly, pretty easily. Like, it didn't really feel like much of a threat. He only takes over because Cornette helps him. And even then, it's, like, fleeting. Um, so, just he didn't feel like much of a contender at all. It's clear that he's no longer a threat. And fine if you want to give Sean a guy to beat, but we just ran through the roster. Like there's a bunch of guys that could have used in the spot that are more athletic and can work. And Yoko just looks sad. Uh, the crowd is into Sean as always, but I, I went I went two stars. I guess I don't know. It was not much of a match. Yeah, I did two and a quarter. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, Yoko did go back with Cornette. Like it was a little weird. Um, they never. I don't know, fist bumped or I don't, what? I don't take I don't it know. as him being with Cornette. I take it as Cornette just acting on his own. Just wanting to screw kind of, yeah. Sean. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, because he didn't exactly, like, put up much of a fight when Sean Sweet Chin music's Yoko. Right. A uh, couple, couple of good moves. I mean, the belly-to-belly that you mentioned, I thought that looked good. And then the first Sweet Chin music and Yoko pushing him up and going into the Samoan drop. Like that looked good. Um, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, this was just like, I mean, it's the end of the run. It's a sad end of the run. I mean, it 
Yoko at this time does feel like a, uh, you know, Willie Mays is a New York Med or whatever, mm. your favorite old athlete. On Patrick Ewing on the uh, Magic. Magic, yeah. It's, it's just one of those, like, let's not remember him for this and uh, right. move on. So, two and a quarter. Brady on the Browns coming. Um, yeah, it's uh, no, it's sad. It's yeah, it's, this is it. We're not done with him. I don't know how much more raw he has. He's, he's asked a virus series. I think that's the last time we see him. But yeah, yeah, um, he's what a couple months left, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So I mean, overall, whatever the Taker, Mankind, suffer, they carry the show. I, I enjoyed the commentary change. Like, yeah, Vince is Vince, but I really, I thought Kevin and Jr. added a lot of good insight and meat to the show. They were smooth. They were controlled. Uh, they weren't as bombastic. They got they got the hype, but the focus was there too. Um, so I really liked this. It felt raw, made it feel more credible. And you know, we like Bobby, and I'm fine with Tanae and everything. But like. I think coming off of this, I would have thought, wow, like Raw's kind of figured it out from a commentary point of view. Like this will be much more um, interesting because they just add these insider, you know, analytical insights versus just like yelling and screaming. Yeah, I thought I thought the commentary did a good job. That was Mm -hmm. one of my highlights of the show. Um, uh, One thing like um, Lawler gets toned down a little bit too i think he just has naturally like less spots to uh you know put in his less time to talk yeah junk yeah so and and these guys don't feed it into it as much as vince either like kevin just kind of gives one quick response and moves on and jr is like firmly in nerd angry angry nerd alert right now like that's where he's at right he's kind of just doing the i'm gonna sit here and spit my facts and not deal with your bullshit attitude so uh, all right, let's get to our awards as we wrap up Raw. So match of the night, I think, is, I guess, easily Bulldog Owen. Or... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I uh, had to go with Bulldog Owen. Yeah. Uh, the best moment to me was Taker's return. Uh, yeah, I went with that whole, like, interview segment thing. Yeah. For MVP, I went with Paul Bearer and Mankind. I thought they, they did a really good job in that segment. Yep, I did Mankind. Uh, commentary, did the Undertaker expire in the Boiler Room Brawl last night? That was Vince off the top. We're in Wheeling, West Virginia, home of the world's biggest family reunion. That was King. Clarence Mason trying to slip in my back door and steal my talent. That was Cornette. Uh, you're going to try and get in the ring with Mankind. You're an idiot. That was King. And why does Burger King always sponsor Raw? Is that a shot at me? That was King as well. So that was funny. Yeah. Uh, no shots fired, no debuts, no dropped angles, and no Sean Hissy fits. Uh, so final grade, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I went five and a half, slightly above average. They at least had some coherent through lines. I enjoyed the commentary. The Mankind Taker stuff was really good. And, you know, Bulldog Owen was disappointing, but it was still, like, not bad. I liked the Vader squash. The Battle Royals, like, everything was just kind of average with a couple other things to slightly bump it over. I went five and a half, too. Uh, this yeah. is another one of these Raws where when we talk about it, I feel like I may be overrating it. I don't know. It's just, uh, I mean, there's some interesting stuff. Like, it's it's a weird, it's tough to describe. Like, they, they have ingredients here. They just hadn't figured out, like, the recipe to put them all together. Like, there, it's, yeah. it's I, don't, I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's it's a we're at an interesting spot, but there were I mean there was some good stuff here I guess. 
I think it's a good way to put it. I think the pieces are there. We've had stretches like this before, like in sometimes in 93 and years to follow where they, they, they're there. They just haven't figured out the puzzle yet. And I, I think a big part of it, again, is that they don't know who the stars are just yet. Like, I think they're trying to figure that out. And so, All right. uh, Chad, it's been a while. Why don't you tell us what's going on in the North South Connection? Oh, we got we still got a ton of stuff, even though we were mm-hmm. on a break. Uh, a lot of other people have helped carry the torch on North South Connections in. Uh, you know, pretty much content daily now, uh, especially a couple of things to highlight. We're doing the Cronoso daily, uh, which is generally a 10 to 15 minute pod blast format where we're doing one match a day uh, on Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. Uh, we started with WrestleMania 1, going through all the, I guess what you call, super shows on the uh, on the old cock, where uh, you get all of um, all the Saturday night's main event, wrestling classic, pay-per-view, stuff like that. So, so you get one match a day from a variety of different hosts. It's a good sampling. I think it's a good way to start your day. Those drop around 8 a.m. every morning, so... Uh, with your morning coffee, uh, to <laughs> quote Brad Woodling, you can check those mm-hmm. out. Uh, a couple other new shows that came into the fold since I think we left, where uh, like WCW Must Die has has become more regular uh, with Johnny mm-hmm. C, um, and is a co-host. He's had Jennifer Smith on one, had Ryan Gray on some, uh, and then uh, also Ryan. Gray himself has been picking up a lot of the slack uh, on the current side of things with a lot of our uh, preview of the special events and recaps and whatnot. Uh, if viewers' choice can't go, him and Marcus did a recap of the Elimination Chamber from Saudi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, still a ton of great content, still really proud. Uh, we still have the veterans like Ruthlessly Aggressive. Jake, you know, has been so consistent and so well done and uh, pumping that out of there. So uh, anything else I missed you want to highlight? Yeah, just since we've debuted, uh, Ben and I said, well, Wrestling Above Replacement, Dirty War uh, uh, debut. Uh, That's me and Marcus every other Friday <clears throat> doing a plus-minus style system breakdown of every WWF, WWE pay-per-view and pay-per-view year. So that's been a lot of fun. Aaron returned briefly and, and uh, finished off year that was. That was exciting. He'll be back uh, with another solo project soon as well. And then other stalwarts too, like you mentioned, No Holds Barred and uh, Second Print Comics and Square Circle Silver Screen. Like it just we, you and I, I know we said it a million times, but it's super proud of the way everyone leans in, nails the content. It's always interesting. It's always exciting. Uh, and we're just really proud of what we've done here over the last few years and excited to enter into our what fourth calendar year so fourth calendar i'm not as good as math, I'm not as, good as math as you third 21 yeah, third. 20, uh, 20, yeah third. we're two years third. in so this will be our third and i'm season. not I, yeah. the the math the math is never good for me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so check it out north south connection we're happy to be back happy to have you back keep it up all right let's hop over the dial to tnt for the 8 1996 nitro we are live from the Von Braun Civic Center at Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, quite the pair of cities here tonight <laughs> on our docket. Wheeling yeah. in Huntsville. Yeah, I have a soft spot for Huntsville, but yeah. 
Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco welcome us into Hour 1. We get right to it as our opening match is Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on VK Walton. Mm. This feud is still going, Chad. Mm-hmm. Still going. This feels like it's in a vacuum from the rest of the world, <laughs> this fucking feud. Um, we get a replay from Clash of the Champions to see what happened in the last match, how VK stole that win. We get a pretty good pop for Duggan, who's still always over as he stomps yeah. out. Dick Patrick refing, and Larry says he's a symbol of WCW paranoia. We don't know who to trust, and Nick is just a victim of circumstance. A lot of basic <laughs> brawling is expected. Tony hypes up the night ahead, saying all of WCW rosters at full strength, and he'll be shocked if the NWO cowards show up because of it. And you mentioned earlier the NWO is not here, and I thought, you know, I'm sure they had some reasons why, but I thought this was a shrewd cover. Like, make it part of the story if they're not going to be on. So the story is, look, these guys only show up when they have the power advantage. They don't have that tonight, so not a shock if they don't come. So I thought that was a cool talking point from Tony. Lots and lots of talk about the lack of trust and how the roster is mentally disconnected because of it. Tony says Duggan's intelligent in the ring, and Larry thinks he's ribbing him when he says that. Uh, we get a lot of VK chip locks. Uh, we find out that Harlem Heat will take on the American Males for the tag titles tonight. Tony reminds us. It was about a year ago when the males beat Harlem Heat on Nitro in the third ever Nitro for the titles. Duggan has some energy, but VK just keeps ambling around. He pulls the tape, pulls out the tape, but the ref stops him, and Duggan uses it instead and picks up the win. This is a full over, a full over, who cares, whatever. Uh, feels so outdated and blah. Like, you expect us on Raw right now? More, more than Nitro, I think. Uh, but we can do better for openers, uh, for sure, given the talent. But, like we talked about Raw, this did give us time for Tony to hype up the card ahead, recap on what's going on in the company around us, and let this play backdrop, uh, which is why I thought we should not have British Bulldog and O'Hart in this spot. Duggan and VK, much better choice, uh, as Tony gives the updates. So, uh, just a star in three quarters for me, Chad, but I'm, I'm good if we never see this match again. Yeah, I'm going with the same rating. Um, I thought this was maybe a little bit feistier than I would have expected. Um VK did resort to his trusty chin lock, but he uh, he threw in some more like Chris than normal strikes, uh, which I appreciated. Duggan mm-hmm. had some decent energy. Oh, I mean, it is a feud that needs to go away. Uh, th- my main grievance, again, was the finish. I thought the finish, again, is incredibly dumb here. Anything with the tape is dumb, so... Both of them, like VK stealing the tape and taping himself mm-hmm. up and Duggan having another one. It's just. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it. It sucks. So, yeah, star and three quarters. Uh, the hype for the show itself, I thought, was well done. Um, lot, lot of Nick Patrick on this show. So they get that right out of the way that he's refereeing this match and. Uh, Larry, like you said, uses it as a sticking point to talk about the paranoia amongst everyone. So that was fine. All right, we head to the ring where Mean Gene is there to talk to Hacksaw. Hacksaw throws his board down in anger when Gene mentions the NWO. <laughs> Reminded me of Uncle Elmer stomping on Jesse Ventura's hat back up sorry, it's been a bit. Uh, he won't scream at Hogan, but he'll ask Terry what he did to his friends, his fans, <laughs> and his family. He turned his back on everything he believed in. He asked what kind of man would do that. Out comes Randy Savage. Duggan's confused because the crowd cheers, and then Savage gets in his face, and he kind of figures it out. Savage says they're on the same frequency. Savage says to get things done with Hogan. They're all and they're done in all lifetimes. Duggan stomps around the ring as Savage takes to talk. 
We get clips from Nitro last week where Hogan beat the shit out of Savage. Savage says that was a wake-up call, and he'll make things happen and not sit back anymore and wait. Tonight, he gets the Giant, who made a deal with him and said if he stepped aside, he'd make everything okay. But nothing is okay, because now the world title is painted with NWO, and he's got 15,000 stitches on his head. But tonight, he'll solve his problems with the Giant. So if you recall, Savage wanted Hogan. Giant said he would handle it, and he failed, obviously, at Hogwild. So this is a fine promo. The Duggan stuff was kind of hokey, but I thought Savage was fine. I mean, Duggan calling him Terry like to show that he's shooting <laughs> was pretty funny. Um, I mean, the Savage promo was okay. It's mm. Like, we're done with this lifetime. I was like, what is this, uh, another Undertaker? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> expired. A lot, yes. a, lot, a, lot, a lot of supernatural stuff going on tonight. Um, it was a, your usual, like, Wagtail Savage promo, and him and Duggan together is quite a mm-hmm. duo. Um, so I would just classify this as okay for me. Yeah. All right, Tony and Larry chat for a few minutes. They say the NWO has awoken the giant. We saw it at the clash. We eclipsed when he just destroyed Chris Benoit. Talks about the issues going on with woman and Benoit in the dungeon before wrapping up. It brings us to our next match, which is the Earl of Eaton. Uh, Bobby in taking on Chris Benoit. Kind of pretty cool match on paper here, for sure. Uh, Bob of Earl, as Dusty Rhodes always calls him, is out. He's running solo, as Tony says the Blue Bloods have had problems lately. Over on WCW Saturday Night, where Regal said he'd be changed changing the mold and chasing single titles now, not being part of the tag title scene with the Blue Bloods. Benoit's out with Woman and Liz, so he gets some chain stuff early, get rolling. Benoit dumps him outside and heats up, battering on Eaton. Woman gets involved as well, but Benoit's pretty uh, pretty locked in, just pounding away. We get a bunch of War Games talk throughout this, uh, and then we get a pretty good fiery comeback by Eaton. He misses the Alabama Jam, and Benoit finishes him off to win a pretty fun match. I thought it was hard hitting. It was a good way to get Benoit back on track, which is what needed after the clash. And this could have really popped, but it was uh, mainly just a squash instead. So just two and a half for me, Chad. I went three. I thought this match mm. was pretty awesome for the amount of time it happened. Um, you know, Eaton's from Huntsville, so he was revved up. Um, yeah, I, I thought with just the way they worked this with the arm drag on the floor, um, the post shot looked nasty on the floor. Um, Eaton's choke that he does, where you can see the fingers actually digging into the throat of Benoit. Um, there, there was a lot of kind of little touches here that for a four minute match, uh, TV match, they really executed a, uh, a fairly vicious affair with each other i thought you know benoit getting his win of course was good too so uh i thoroughly enjoyed this 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 is one of those like you know if you need to throw a match in if you got like 10 minutes to spare like this this is a good match i think to throw in um you know if you want to take a break at work or whatever throw this one in all right, we got a Glacier vignette. No ETA still, but it's still, still hyping it. Yeah. Uh, we then get our Clash of the Champion highlights. And then we go to Mean Gene, who's backstage with Sting and Lex Luger. Lex talks about WCW's unprecedented plan and asks Sting how many times they faced a horseman. And Sting says hundreds and thousands. And Lex says tonight they'll do it a different way with a different plan. Sting is living life and has a new attitude. And WCW has never been a cakewalk, but he still can't stand Arn Anderson or Ric Flair. And they have a surprise for them tonight. Any thoughts on uh, Sting and Flexi Lexi here? 
Um, you, I thought this was good setup for later. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the surprise that Steve talks about is a pretty good hook for the rest of the show. All right, back to the ring as the Disco Inferno is out to take on Scott Flash Norton. Tony says the NWO has brought WCW together like never before as Disco dances out goofy as ever. Norton's pretty focused. He storms the ring. Tony says Disco should dance and leave as a strategy as Norton has been locked in ever since Fire and Ice split up. Disco gets some good dodging him, but Norton eventually wallops him, shows off his power. Disco bounces around the ring. Tony says Fire and Ice issues aren't quite over yet. And uh, Norton batters on him until finishing him with the armbar. Again, another squash, but another fun squash. Disco really bumped for him, and Norton being rebuilt after the split of the team. So I went two stars on this. Yeah, two stars for me. I did think this was a pretty fun squash. Um, the DDT where he picks up Disco, throws him like face first down, like nasty. Um, mm-hmm. He's calling that like divorce court move a uh, the flashback now. Yeah, um, yeah. So he, he's using that to go right into the Fujiwara arm bar to get the submission. Uh, over, overall, this was pretty good. I mean, maybe this isn't the best spot for Disco because they had been showing like him gaining more confidence and being more serious. But, uh, you know, watching him get his ass kicked, it was pretty enjoyable. So he took his beating well. So two stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he can both be pushed and also get his ass beat by Scott Norton. Like, he's right. not getting pushed at that right. level. Um, so, yeah, he's if he wants to be in the cruiser mix or whatever else. But I think it's fine to have a guy like Norton beat the piss out of him. So Yeah. All right, Gene's backstage with Ice Train and Teddy Long. <laughs> Teddy thanks the fans for all the cards and letters and apologizes that he wasn't at Hog Wild and that Giant almost took him out for good. Teddy says Norton didn't win at Hog Wild, but the ref called it and gave Norton the win. The ref, of course, was Nick Patrick, and everyone's confused about him. We see footage of Norton attacking Ice Train on uh, during the CompuServe stuff, and Train issues a pretty bland warning while staring at the mic instead of the camera. He says uh, he won't always look like a mummy, all wrapped up with tape. So, whatever. I think yeah. I think Teddy's being kind of lame here, blaming Patrick. Like Patrick's been doing some bad stuff with the NWO, but like you know, he's not really fucking with these guys. Like, well, they really. Like I mean, kind of blaming on Patrick. Yeah, I mean, that shows the paranoia. Like, I mean, I guess if they're playing it up as the overall art, but... Right. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> Patrick got a lot of blame here. Um, This was okay again. Uh, Only other thing was Gene. <laughs> like, when they show the clip of CompuServe, he's like, this is the tape. Please do not call the number. <laughs> and so it's like, it might crash the servers if... Uh, People call the CompuServe, CompuServe definitely yeah. was prone to crash. <laughs> I'm curious when they get off CompuServe, like how long that lasts um, for WCW. Like, I don't know if they ever go on AOL or do this go right to the website? Probably. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm kind of curious too. when ice train just sort of goes away because we may not be yeah. too far from that. All right. We get our WCW Saturday night ad as Lex Luger will take on uh, David Taylor and Dean Malenko takes on Ric Flair. So, Kind of a hidden gem potential match there. On yeah, two two title matches. Both look pretty mm-hmm. interesting on paper. So a pretty good uh, looking WWE Saturday night. Brings us to our next match. And here's another interesting one for mm-hmm. us on paper. Is Dean Malenko takes on Lord Steven Regal. So pretty cool here. Uh, Tony Plugs Clash of the Champions replay will be on this Thursday on TBS at 10.30, 10.35, of course. Regal marches out <laughs> mumbling to himself as always. Larry talks about the WCW paranoia, even pointing out that Teddy's blaming Nick Patrick for Hog Wild. Uh, these two workhorses both looking to get on a roll. 
A lot of reversals and switches early on. Get some stalemates as Regal busts out a tight end Ziguri. Regal controls from there, focused methodical assaults. We get some more Nick Patrick discussion. Larry keeps talking about all the paranoia. Tony talks up the great ticket sale. So fall brawl, but says seats are still available. Regal's really grinding here. He works the neck, gets a nice full Nelson, pushes Malenko to the mat. Larry keeps mentioning Patrick's normal counts as we go through the match. We get a fun series of near falls. Malenko's selling is really on point. Regal's a madman going for pin covers. Had some good urgency that felt like it was missing at Hogwild. Remember, we talked about that with Benoit Malenko quite a bit, um, how that felt like an exhibition match at times. This felt to have more of the urgency we wanted there. Dean eventually ends up stealing the win uh, with a cradle and puts Regal down for the count. It was really fun. Uh, Regal was on point with his offense. It was nonstop focused all over him, grinding and pounding. I like the flurry of covers as well, but Dean finds a seam and steals the win. So I was well done. I like the urgency dripping from it. I went three stars. Yeah. This to me, um, a very unfortunate um, commercial break Mm -hmm. in the middle of it, because I think if we'd have had this full match, this had hidden gem written all over it. Um, right. The op- opening mat work was really well done. Uh, it escalated correctly. Two nasty German suplexes by Dean. The crowd is starting to get into the near falls. Regal comes back with that butterfly suplex. And then uh, I like the kind of back and forth roll ups with Malenko like coming out ahead and picking up the victory. So I, I thought this was a very good TV match. Uh, again, Regal, someone that hasn't been given a ton of opportunities. So when he was given one here, I thought he, he took advantage of it, looked impressive. And Dean is also someone that at times has been able to go into autopilot. And this match kept moving along with both the quirkiness of the European mat work and the intensity that Regal brings that we didn't get the uh, kind of mundane, boring side of Dean. He was he was on his A game as well. So three stars, which is a good match, but could have been probably really good if we'd have gotten to see what was in that commercial break or if they'd have gave mm-hmm. it two to three more minutes. Yeah, we want it to be cool if we got like a pay-per-view match. These guys right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, like these two in like a 16-minute long-form match could have been fantastic. Agreed. All right. Gene is with the horseman in the aisle. Arn says he never needed anyone liking him as long as the horseman backed him up. He never needed a weapon to feel tough, and he's got guts. Sting and Luger roll in with the horseman for 10 years, and they always leave knowing they'll be in a fight, and tonight will be no exception. Ric Flair says they believe in wine, women, song, and the pretty boys tonight will walk the aisle. Flair issues a warning to Hulk Hogan. Interesting. That's still kind of going on with those two after the clash. Gene says he has a Roman candle in his pant leg as a woman is massaging him. Uh, and that's it. They wrap up. I thought Arn was great here. We didn't get a lot from Flair, uh, but Arn was on point as always. And we get the pyro for hour two going off during the interview, which was cool as well. Yeah. I mean, so the problem here was like Flair was just, I mean, Flair was kind of on his own here because they were mm-hmm. like, like Gene was clearly trying to wrap him up and Flair was just going on as the pyro goes off. Um, so he, he gives this weird line that like between Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan and Hogan, the nature boys got more playing time than all of them. I mean, it's, I, I get what he's saying, but it came across a little clumsily and, uh, 
I didn't know if the Roman candle line was because the pyro was going off or woman massaging Jean. I didn't know which was. Yeah, I the... took it as a, I took it as he meant it was an erection. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's, that's why I took it anyway. I mean, the thing was like right behind him. So I mean, as soon as that pops off, both Jean uh, and uh, the Horseman jump, and you can see like Deborah like legitimately laughing <laughs> and uh, Flair not shutting up as the pyro's going off. So, I mean, overall, this segment, the interview segment was fine. I, I think Orange was the clear highlight and mm-hmm. Flair's was whatever, but pretty unhinged. <laughs> All right, uh, Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan welcome us in. They start up hour two, and that brings us to our first match of the second hour as the Public Enemy take on the Nasty Boys, who are still still lingering here, Chad. They're still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nasty stomp out. There should be another big brawl. Uh, Bischoff talks about everything intense WCW has been dealing with this summer, including the lawsuit from WWF, the competition within the company, and the NWO. But he says WCW is going nowhere, and they're not going to change how things work for them because of the NWO. Bischoff says the NWO don't want to be on the front lines. They'll wait for the big guns to be out of town, and they act as snipers. Bobby calls them terrorists. And uh, this is an interesting State of the Union for Bischoff, kind of talking about everything they've been through as they reset into their second full year of Nitro, um, kind of almost, you know, resets where they stand on everything and all the changes going on and the competition and takes the shots at WF. So it was an interesting little bit during this match. Uh, the brawl triggers right away. We spill outside right to the split screen. Bischoff talks about Johnny Grunge's rehabbed busted wrist. We get some talk about Parker and how WCW Saturday night, him and Sherry got beat up uh, as part of that. And Bobby says Parker's going to be pissed about it. We get some pretty stiff stuff here as usual, sloppy and hard hitting. It's pretty much what we've seen a million times from both guys, uh, both teams. A lot of brawling, without the energy and atmosphere to go next level like you'd get inside like an ECW arena setting. Public enemy put themselves through a table, and that's the end of the match. So it, it was fine. It just doesn't have that energy. Like, And they, they're lazy. They meander. They walk brawl. Like If they want to do this kind of stuff, you got to bring the energy and passion to it, not just walk around and slap each other <laughs> they, just because you're – punching in the in the crowd doesn't mean it's like a, an exciting brawl um I, I think this could be better but the nasties continue to feel like relics and public enemy feels like they've been stuck in mud since they debuted in january so i, I went a star in three quarters chad but this didn't really capture the imagination much uh, two stars for me i liked it i mean i thought it was decent as a change of pace i think that's the best thing that it has going forward and i mean we've talked about it we haven't really talked about it a whole lot in this show um but you know, like when hour we're into hour two and I mean, there's not that much major stuff that's went on in this show. And we haven't seen a ton of major stars actually wrestle, but they've done such a good job to me, like with the variety of the matches, um, like Benoit Eaton didn't really look like Norton versus Disco, which didn't look like Malenko Regal, and then that didn't look like this match either. Uh, so wide variety is on display, and that that just shows one to me like the the depth of the roster, but also I mean Nitro is is still it's we're really cooking like for mm-hmm. this show compared to Raw, um, where you know you have those workers like I mean. You think about like that that four man battle royal, like I mean, sure it's a little clunky, but 
there's Dustin Rhodes, who may make my greatest wrestler ever list, and Steve Austin in that match, who for sure would make my greatest wrestler ever list. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have two people in there that are in my top 150 wrestlers ever, but yet, as an actual segment, like, I rank that match lower than this little plunder brawl between these four. And right. a lot of that has to do with, like, the pacing of the show and the way that it's worked. So, I, I mean, eventually, yes, these should probably move on to something else because we've seen this a lot. But um, as a change of pace and as a brawl and to get a little plunder into the proceedings, uh, I thought this was fine. I think expectations plays a role, too. Like, you would expect way more to that Battle Royal. It's like, that's like a main event level match for Raw. This is like ninth down the card for WCW. So, I think that plays a role, too. Like, the expectation level going into a match like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess, too. Like, I mean, you're watching the ECW stuff, too. I mean, I think that's got to be put into context, too. Um well, know, it's like ruined a lot of these types of matches for me, like in other promotions where you can feel the it's just it, they're trying to re- recreate what they were doing in ECW and what was going on there. But they don't have the atmosphere or the energy behind it. So it just feels like they're walking around. And honestly, like I feel this way about Paul Academy, even at the end of their ECW run, like it just felt like they're going through the the template of what that match is versus like bringing like the gangsters eliminators when they bring the you know, energy and anger to it. This, this didn't feel like that was there for me. This just feels like, okay, this is what, it almost felt like a backyard version of like, okay, this is what they, we see on TV. Oh, this is what they do in ECW. They walk around and punch each other, you know? Yeah, I definitely think I'm higher on PE than you. Um, I mean, I'd take them all the eliminators. Easy. All to tell, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm I like, I like the early stuff. You're anti-eliminators? Yeah. Annoying. Yeah. I hate. I, I Saturn will get to, but he's he's also at some point. You can lump him in the Savio Vega. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I I liked Public Enemy early. I just I thought their last like four or five months, I was just kind of ready for them to go. And just, it mm-hmm. felt like a lot of it's repeat toward the end for them. So, I mean, uh, they're right. pretty ruined. No, but yeah. Gene is with the Nasty Boys. Uh, Sack says everyone who enters Nastyville leaves like Public Enemy did. NW or WCW, they're right there being nasty. Gene asks Nobbs about Hogan. He says Hogan does what he wants. A friend's a friend. And then just issues a warning to Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. Just kind of more of the same here as, you know, the Nasties continue to kind of just play aloof with the NWO stuff. Uh, Gene does uh, say the Nasties hit the buffet really heavy, which is uh, quite the line. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird line they ended on. Um, it's, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, like they weren't in Vegas still, you know, it's an odd yeah, line. Uh, Huntsville, <laughs> I guess blind. the Golden Corral. Um, uh, yeah, Nobbs, uh, basically saying like, I don't give a crap what Hogan does. He's still going to be my buddy. Like it's an interesting choice, but, um, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if anything comes of it. It, it kind of just reiterates that. Hogan's turn is still like in the NWO overall is becoming the topic of conversation because because even beyond they're afraid of everyone jumping. Yeah, like on this show, like, you know, like it's been Nick Patrick and the NWO. Those have been kind of the two things that have been the catalyst for everything else that happens. 
and that does become, I and mean, we'll we'll track it as we go. But it feels like a WCW thing where they the commentary drifts so much from the matches onto like these one or two topics. You know what I mean? That like dominate everything. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just think it's a ongoing trope that WCW falls into. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like, that being a criticism in the in the time that like they don't talk about the matches. They just like talk about the NWO. Yeah, it can go. Um... A couple ways. Uh, I thought, like in the Eaton Regal match, they went too far, or Eaton mm-hmm. uh, Benoit match, it went too far into that. But for something like BK Duggan, it helps enhance it. So, I mean, it's a give and take there, I think. I also think the nasty stuff is weird. It's like it hasn't really been established that Knobs and Hogan are friends on TV. It feels a bit like remember the Sting and Bagwell stuff we went through like a while back, where all of a sudden they're like best buds. You know, like we haven't really heard much about that. It hasn't really been a thing, so that that doesn't help disconnect either. You know. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, this does have like some smart, you know, legitimacy behind it. Where if you were uh, a dirt sheet person, you knew that they were friends, but uh, it is certainly something that's kind of from an on-screen perspective really popped up or Gene has to say now every time, like, well, we know that you've been running with Hulk for a long time. And it's like, Oh, okay. That's news to probably most people watching. Right. Would that have even been a dirt sheet thing at that point, too? Like, I, I remember, like, Nasty's being Hogan's buddy, but I feel like that was more, like, later, you know? Uh, like, they were there before Hogan, and it's not like they came with Hogan to WCW. Yeah, but I think uh, once they came to WWF in 91, it was uh, kind of pretty known. much known. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, it's not on TV, and all of a sudden, Hogan no. Nobs is out here being grilled about his best buddy. <laughs> Um, all right, we got Bischoff and Bobby talking a little bit. Bischoff names all the guys who aren't paranoid about NWO, and that's where WCW is staying where it is. We get the usual WCW magazine ad, so mm-hmm. going with the Stinger and the Kid. We then get the Clash of Champions clips where Eddie Guerrero defeated Diamond Dallas Page to win the Battle Bull ring, and then Page attacked him after the match, and Chavo made the save, and we get that match here as we get Chavo Guerrero Jr. taking on Diamond Dallas Page. DDP looking for revenge on the Guerreros from the Clash. He saunters out. Feels like he's so disconnected from the NWO as well. He's really had, like, no interactions with any of that stuff. Bobby talks up DDP, says that he overcame all this adversity so far in 96. DDP gets his usual nice power spots in. He throws Chavo around, thwarts his attacks, focusing his strikes. He works over the shoulder. He's definitely putting together more cohesive offense these days as well. Uh, Bobby backs Nick Patrick just like Larry did. He says, until we have something more concrete, it's hard to really get on him. We get a lot of Savage and Giant talk. Bischoff reminds us that Savage stepped aside for Giant, and now he feels like Giant dropped the ball, and we may have a new Giant again tonight. Chavo gets some decent comeback attempts, but DDP bully offense works well tonight. Gets a nice attack again on the shoulder. Chavo's selling works well, too. He takes a nice sit-out powerbomb. DDP opens up the war chest. Some more, some showing off that the hard work is really kind of paying off. Chavo dodges the diamond cutter, hits a backslide for the flash win as DDP takes a loss. And this has been one of my kind of main criticisms with WCW is some of this wonky booking with wins and losses for guys that seem to be getting pushed that will lose out of nowhere. We saw Benoit get squashed at the clash. Um, we saw the public enemy lose earlier and now DDP loses to fucking Chavo. Um, so it, just, it feels questionable, especially because it was clean. 
DDP lays him out after the bell. He whips him with Nick Patrick's belt. Patrick kind of weakly half-assed tries to stop DDP. Out come Randy Anderson. He rips the belt away, and Bischoff is pissed. Like, he's screaming. He wants Nick Patrick investigated. He wants action taking, and Bobby defends him. He says, something inside his job. Like, the guy stole his belt. What's he supposed to do? Uh, I liked the beating. I liked the match and the beating within the match. I thought it made DDP look great until the stupid finish. Like, and we just had a flash pin earlier, too, so... Like, I wouldn't find DDP just pins him. I, I would have really liked this match a little bit more. Um, I get it. They're trying to kind of mirror the clash finish and push the feud the way Eddie pinned him. But I think a strong DDP mashing would have been much better served coming off the loss at the clash. I went two and a half stars. Uh, I think this could have popped a little bit more with a tighter finish. But I enjoyed the work of DDP in the match. Yeah, two and a half for me. I don't have a problem with this uh, finish. Um, I think because of just the upset nature. I mean, to me, the the pins between Malenko and Regal were more like mm-hmm. reversal, where this was a true like flash. Um, I did like that they called they called back to this a couple times. Like Chavo gets it one time in this match for a two count, uh, and then they come back again and mm-hmm. it actually hits. Uh, DDP's work on top was really good. Uh, I think that's where he's came along before this as a worker. Uh, like when Chavo was tangled in the rope and he just kept like tenaciously kicking away at the shoulder and was kind of uh, twisting the shoulder and doing a variety of stuff that looked pretty vicious. That was a, a stark improvement. Uh, I mean, overall, like saying like, oh, the, well, the Guerrero clan, they come, they, you know, ride together. I, th- I thought that was fine. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I think DDP is really at this stage where. Kind of, I mean, I guess it's sort of like Austin. Like, I mean, we've talked about it where you can't critique too. Like, this is Austin losing to Savio. But um, in the next, like, month or so, it's going to be pretty obvious that, like, they're going to have to do something to elevate DDP based on the reaction he's getting. So it kind of becomes a moot point anyway. But I think it starts to make these matches almost lose their importance, you know? As well, because uh, like, yeah, like, well, I mean, he just beats him on this random nitro. He'll get it back. He's gonna get repushed. Like, I don't know. I'm just, it kind of feels like, I think it's one of the small drawbacks of what Nitro's in, introduced to the Monday Night Wars, which is a lack of squashes and build and more one-on-one matches all through the card. Is you're gonna get much more of this type of stuff where dudes who are getting pushed lose and have flash losses, and um, it's fine. I mean, the mid card should be kind of jumbled, but it just feels like Paige is a guy they're investing a lot of time and effort into. He just lost at the clash. They're hyping up his big 96 bounce back. And this feels like Chavo hasn't really been put in a position that he should beat him clean. Well, Chavo's still so fresh. That You're right. I, I think I'm fine with it just because you don't know. Um, I mean, to me, like looking at this card on paper, I would have said there was probably a better chance of Disco getting up, mm. uh, upset on Norton than... Chavo on DDP. Um, I I don't know. It it didn't strike me as being bothersome, but maybe we'll see if they follow up. All right. Nick Patrick gets stopped in the aisle by Gene. Gene says Nick could have stopped that attack before it even started. Nick said if he was a police officer and things were out of control, he'd be in charge alone. He'd wait for backup. Gene says Randy's half Nick's size and he stepped right into it. Nick says they're all great referee and they're all a team and they're all there for each other. Nick talks down the accusations. He says Gene is the reason for these troubles. He keeps blowing things out of proportion. If he was caught on film doing things wrong, he'd already be fired and he's not. The magazines, papers, and media keep blowing things up. 
WCW isn't working together anymore, and it's a problem. Gene asks about Patrick's brand new house, and he says he just bought the last ten days. And Patrick kind of just hand waves and walks off. So, I've enjoyed the Nick Patrick stuff. I think it's been pretty good. He keeps blaming Gene in the media, uh, and I think they're doing a good job with like the sleight of hand stuff from Patrick. Like it's not super over and obvious and bearing, and it's it's done in a way that you can question. Like, is he just fucking up? Is it just a coincidence? And it, it's been done pretty well in general. Yeah, I mean, this is quite a 2022 20, promo in 1996 blaming the media, um, mm-hmm. <coughs> which is pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that with Patrick, he has a couple of good lines here saying, you know, like if there was hard evidence against me, why would I still be yeah. here? Right. Um, I mean, another thing is like, and we'll get to it in the next match, but one critique that I did have on the show is like, if Nick Patrick is under this much scrutiny, why is he refereeing so many of these matches? Like tonight, right. he referees tons of the matches. Um, I mean, I guess you could say like he was under the microscope, but it just, I mean, like after this promo, it's like that felt like that was the end of him. And then he comes right back out and he referees the next tag match. So I was like, what is going on? Um, so that was a little weird. Also, don't know how Gene knows he just bought a house. <laughs> can bring Gene knows up. everything. He's yeah. got insiders. Got there. the scoop on that. So well, that was interesting. All right, we get an ad fall brawl, and we get clips from September eighteenth, nineteen ninety five, when the American yeah. Males defeated Harlem Heat for the tag team titles, <laughs> and now they face off here on eight nineteen. So inverse of the number, which is a cool little bit uh, for this match. So the American Males challenge Harlem Heat for the tag team titles. Big spot for the males have been in the background uh, of late. Bagwell is looking jacked here as the males clap to the ring. Harlem Heat had the whole crew with them, as always, uh, Colonel Parker and Sensational Sherry. Harlem Heat's choking and battering Riggs early. Patrick again is repping this match, like you said. He's out there again. And Bischoff <laughs> says he's a big factor. You have to watch him at all times. Bobby says Patrick's just doing his job. Bischoff says Bagwell just finished filming an Andy Sedaris film, action film, and yeah. did a good job. Uh, it's all Harlem Heat here. Just uh, Riggs taking a shit kicking. Sherry gets in the mix as usual, tying up Nick Patrick. Good hot tag for Bagwell. We get a close near fall to pay off the last encounter. I thought that was well done. They kind of tie it into the finish back in 95. Bischoff says Patrick's count is a little slow, but maybe he's just being paranoid. The males make one last charge, but Stevie finishes things off with a power slam to retain for Harlem Heat. So I thought a fun little match. It was a good Heat segment with some power offense. Uh, well done, hot tag, and final stretch. Harlem Heat looks strong. The males hung in, and we keep the Sherry and Parker stuff going uh, out of it, I should say, as well, which is always nice when they don't take center stage in this stuff. So I this is a fine tag match. I went two and three quarters. Yeah, I'm a little lower, two and a quarter, but I did. I mean, I thought this was solid tag action and uh, <laughs> keeps the variety of the show, which was important. Um, you know, even though it was a little ridiculous having Patrick out again to referee this match, uh, it did give him a chance to, I guess, redeem himself in the eyes of Bischoff because at the end of the count, he's like, well, no problems with that count. So he redeems himself a little bit there. Uh, I like that they called back to when the males upset Harlem Heat. Like that's a year callback, which. Uh, you know, just it, admitting that history is nice uh, to see. Um, so overall, a, de- a decent tag match to kind of end it. And I agree with you, like Parker and Sherry taking a backseat is also uh, refreshing. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we get another Glacier vignette. Still no ETA, but <clears throat> we're uh, taking right. a look at them. And that brings us to our main event, which is oh, – I'm sorry. No, not our main event. Our semi-main event. <laughs> Sting and Lex Luger taking on the Horsemen. And here we go again. These four are about to go at it. It's been a good build throughout the night, and we get a great Horseman entrance as one, the women lead out Flair and Arn. But before the match starts, Sting grabs the mic and asks for the rest of the Horsemen to come to the ring. Bischoff and Bobby call him stupid. Like, why would you invite Benoit and Mongo out? But they do show up after a break. Gene is in the ring as well. And he's <laughs> fucking Gene. Always throws the stuff. He goes, I was packing backstage, uh, but came out for this. Sting says, this is a surprise they've been talking about. They could do what they always do. They can come out here and beat each other up. Or they can recognize this is a major problem in WCW. Sting and Luger know they can't trust Flair ever. But they also know of their blood, sweat, and tears that have been shed through the whole career for WCW. And they, all the four of them, are WCW. In 30 days, War Games happens, and the Horsemen created it. With all due respect for Mongo and Benoit, there's only four people in the ring that have felt what War Games is. And they're demanding that they take two of the slots, along with Flair and Arn, in War Games instead of Mongo and Benoit, which is the original plan. Arn says he doesn't like Sting. He doesn't like Luger. They have the same philosophy. And even though Luger is ripped, does he know what War Games is about? He needs to bring his power and dedication, not just his body. Luger says they go way back. They share history and says Arn to ask himself if Lex and Sting never gave 100%. Arn says Sting, if he can take that little Stinger albatross off his neck for one night and survive War Games, you can't do the right thing when you're in there. You have to go to the gutter and you have to act violently to get that submission. The Outsiders will have to kill Arn because they know he'll never quit. Sting says Arn is wasting his breath even questioning him. WCW has never been a cakewalk. He's lived the life of anyone. Lived the life of WCW. Flair confirms the ask and says he knows what they're about more than anyone. But if Mongo and Benoit want to step aside, he's in for the fight. It's all up to them, though, because it's horsemen first. Benoit says he's waited his whole career to be a horseman. It says Flair and Arn have never betrayed him, and he stands behind their decision. Mongo says he knows what it's like to sacrifice on a great team, and he'll sacrifice if Flair and Arn say it should be. But he'll be watching closely, and if Sting and Luger don't hold up their end of the bargain— it's officially on. So that sets up our main event now for war games. Fall brawl as Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Sting and Lex Luger will take on the NWO. Bischoff says the executive committee will have to approve, but it'll be awesome if it happens. So a lot going on here, Chad. This is a pretty famous segment on Nitro. It was, I thought, superbly executed. <laughs> yeah. um, I love the tie in that these four guys are WCW. They've bled WCW and they should be the ones to defend against these interlopers at war games. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, I mean, this, this is just the promo stuff that I love. Um, and this is where like in modern day you see with AEW, like the best stuff they do, like you have such history that is called back upon, Mm -hmm. um, that they, that they seem so legitimate with, so, but you also know, like, you have a lot of new viewers. So, as new viewers, you don't feel like these are just, like, four relics talking to each other right. either. Like, they, they do such a great job of saying, like, oh, well, these people have such ingrained history with each other that if you're a new viewer, you're intrigued by that and, like, what the future will hold. If you're an old viewer, like you feel rewarded about it, that they're not just skirting past it, that they acknowledge it and are using it to advance this new feud. Um, it's it's the perfect melding of old fans and new fans. And the execution was excellent too, where 
you had like Arn, you know, being the enforcer and showing like his role in the horsemen and, you know, like Flair with all his bravado and flamboyancy that doesn't necessarily work as well in the war games match. So like Arn's taking the lead here for this promo Mm -hmm. And him talking about how you get so dirt, you got to get dirty in war games and stuff like that. I mean, it's so believable uh, that he's the one that's saying that and asking, you know, is Sting can forego the little stingers. Uh, Sting and Luger's rebuttal was really good, too. Um, I mean, even on like the way he talks to Luger, like he insults him about the jiggling pecs, but then immediately builds him up, too, by saying like, you know, well, like now your motivation and power to get that body, like that's what we need. Like it's a, right. it's a building down, but also a build up. It's a, just a great device and the way they strung it out, uh, asking the other members of the horsemen and then eventually like Flair's response to and his facial expressions in the background. Um, Oh, overall, this this was an excellent segment. I mean, we've had a ton of excellent segments on Nitro the past few months, but th- this is one to add to the canon. I, I thought this mm-hmm. was uh, supremely well done. It just made everything feel so important. Uh, it makes yeah. War Games feel like the most important match ever for WCW. <laughs> like, there's so much gravity to it. And it yeah, feels and dangerous. I like, I, yeah. yeah, and I don't, I don't actually... I didn't recall... Um, you know, I was watching it this time, obviously, and I've probably seen this again bef- since then, but I, I did not recall this feeling as weighty as it did this time. Um, I think I was so preoccupied with what happens coming up with, you know, what the, the turns mm-hmm. and the teases, but uh, as far as a match to, as a promo to set up the match, this was so well done. They got off our war games coming last year, too. Like that one we talked about a year ago in 95 was so bland, uh, yeah. right? With the Dungeon of Doom and everything. Right, and now, like, right. this feels like the most important war games ever. So it'll be fun uh, to see how we get to Fall Brawl in 30 days. We get a paid ad from the NWO <laughs> after that. Hall and Nash are walking through Rome, <laughs> fucking around, making Spartacus jokes. And Hall says they're the hottest thing going today. Nash says the NWO spares no expense. But then he asks, what's the Denver Post doing here in Rome? <laughs> and it's a great line as we kind of zoom out. We see that they're really in Denver. Uh, they debate the ancient weapons. And Hall says, loves to say, I told you so. They walk away with the WCW title and turn it to the NWO title. They mock the giant. that They aren't afraid to give the title belt. Or, I'm sorry. They aren't afraid to give a little benefit to the corporation. They compare... Uh, <clears throat> um, Excuse me. They compare it to Gulliver's Travels. Nash says they're modern-day gladiators. They joke about Booty Man getting beat up by them, and then the Horsemen. Nash says it's all about business and not friendship, and they don't need Booty Man in the gang. But Hall asks where the Booty Babe went. Nash says <laughs> Luger reminds him of Mr. Ed, and they mock Sting's hair. Hall says they beat and punked out Sting and Luger, Bash of the Beach, and Hogwild, and they are just pathetic. Hall says the match is simple. Don't call us. We'll call you. And just amazing stuff. I don't do this nearly enough justice. Um, you need to see the full production to really appreciate it all. But it's it's a really cool visual. It's still cutting edge. It's still unique. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they teased that they're in Italy, but they're really in Denver. Like, that was good. Um, so I thought this was all top-line stuff again from the NWO. Yeah, I mean, it's well-produced, and it's funny, and it's hip. Um, 
<laughs> we don't care about the booty man, but where's the booty babe? Was my favorite line yep. on all this. That was, that was that was good. Uh, yeah, just more classic stuff from Paul and Ash. They're firing on all cylinders. All right. Well, that does bring us to our main event of Macho Man Randy Savage trying to get his revenge on the Giants. And we got a breakneck pace on this whole card. We're just like flying through things. Savage attacks Giant in the dark during his entrance. He destroys him with chair shots and a wild attack. Giant battles back and smacks Savage around. And Bischoff says we're now officially confirmed for war games with the match we laid out earlier. Giant has huge welts across his back. Savage kicks him low to block the choke slam. Beats up Jimmy Hart. Savage has the chair again, but out come the Dungeon of Doom. Savage cleans them out with it and runs away, leaving the dungeon ranting in the ring. Giant leaps over the top rope, which just looks insane, and then chases Savage wildly to the back. Uh, so not really a match, but it was a fun little segment. It was crazy wild. Giant and Savage both look like maniacs. And a good way to end what's been a really fun show, filled with big story stuff. Absolutely flew by watching this. Everything makes sense. It ties together. Uh, the matches lacked a little bit tonight, so like that pulls things down a bit. But like, there's tons of stuff to love. The hype for War Games was really well done. Storylines, character development, all really good. So just another crisp episode of Nitro, Chad. Yeah, this was a nice coda on everything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you really saw. I mean, the highlight to me was Giant jumping over the top rope and landing on his feet and then doing a full sprint to the back. Like, that's insane athleticism for him um, and something he'd certainly lose in the next few years. Uh, but, yeah, overall, these are two, like, nutsos, and I thought this was a good way to end the show. I mean, it didn't last very long, but it got in, it did what it needed to, and then it got out. So, well done yeah. there. Agreed. I mean, they jammed a lot into this episode. It was the pacing was crazy. Like they, they never slow down. All right, let's get to our awards. Uh, match of the night for me, I went with Regal and Malenko. Yeah, agreed. I think moments pretty easy. That's uh, the Sting, Luger, and Horseman stuff. Yep. All right. MVP, I went with Arn. I mean, I thought he was great in both interviews. We saw him tonight. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think he's the one that really carried mm-hmm. them and they gave him the spotlight on the horseman end and he delivered i mean Orn always delivers on a promo yeah he was great uh some commentary lines hacksaw was trying to think and that was his mistake larry. <laughs> a three-year-old could easily outthink hacksaw that was larry as well i'd be embarrassed if i was public enemy knowing the nasty boys outsmarted you that was bobby these guys hit the buffet really heavy that was gene uh, american males that sounds like mail carriers that was bobby so that's that. Uh, shots fired. Just Bischoff mentioning the lawsuit from the WF earlier in the summer. And uh, no debuts here tonight. So I don't. I feel low after talking about this, but I think the lack of like having a couple of higher end matches hurt it. Um, and also the lack of the like importance around like the end of Yo not being on. It felt like a lot of mid card stuff this week uh, with the the big stuff happening kind of toward the end. So I, I went six and a half out of ten. Um, I could maybe talk myself into a seven. I don't know. What do you have? I'm a seven. Um, I, I think this is a good show that shows like I'm gonna go to seven. I'm gonna go to seven. This this to me was like a heat check episode right. of Nitro. Um, because we talked about it like on the MGM tapings that they didn't have Hogan right away after the turn, but it's like now Hogan's your champion. Hogan's gonna be in the War Games and. Really, the War Games is the NWO versus WCW, and mm-hmm. I mean this. This is really the only. I think this is the first show since 
Hall and Nash first showed up, or since Hall first showed up in um, on the Memorial Day, that we haven't had Hall, Nash, or Hogan appear to the crowd. Right. I need to double check that, but it feels like that. Uh, so in the last, you know, 12 episodes or whatever of Nitro, at least one of those three has been there. And uh, none of them were there for this show, and it still had some very memorable moments, and to me, had some good enough matches, and, you know, was it a great episode? No, but it's one of those episodes that when you look at the run that they're on, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, well, they still had this good of an episode without those three big stars, so it was, it was impressive to me. I feel like there was one where they didn't show up, but they kept talking about them. I remember they never they were teasing they may be there, and they weren't. May have been uh, the go home to Hogwild, the beach. Uh, um, Maybe there was one where they kept teasing that they may show up and fight, and I don't know. But it, yes, they've been on pretty much all of them. Right. Um, yeah, I bumped it to a seven. I'm I'm with you. It's it's a strong episode of tv especially talking through it uh all right let's do our combo awards and we'll wrap up chad uh i think nitro obviously quite easily yeah uh, wins this week uh what, what do you want to do for best match you going malenko and yeah malenko regal? and regal yeah uh best segment obviously is the i think horseman. the best segment is the horseman stuff i think uh overall mvps are yep do with that star of the night I'm sorry, better commentary you going Nitro? Or actually, I don't know. I kind of like... I would go Raw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, ratings, obviously Nitro. You have yeah, ratings. so the rate... Well, the ratings are interesting. <laughs> um, uh, Raw gets 2.9, which is mm-hmm. a good rating for them. Uh, spoiler alert, that's the best rating they get until May of next year. Uh, wow. so not keep not that surprised coming off SummerSlam. Yeah, you would think, but I mean, like, even like, you know, coming off Mania next year, they don't right. get as good. So 2.9, uh, it's actually, I looked it up and it was like, I think it it's either, there's only like one, I think there was another 2.9 and then there's the one in May that's bigger. But besides that, this is the highest rated Raw in like a whole year. Like there's only uh-huh. two that match it till the August 18th, 97 episode. So That's crazy. I mean, this was a good number for raw, uh, mm-hmm. 2.9, uh, nitro 3.5. So wow. still very easily beat raw, um, again, without star power. And so, they really not, I mean, they're not coming off much, I guess the clash, but yeah. Right. So that again shows to me, um, you know, like here raw has a good number, and, you know, as we'll see historically, like, this is their best number in eight months, and it's still not even close. Like, it's 0. Right. 0.6 from what Nitro's is. And Nitro's is good, but we'll see, like, it's not anything. Like, they're around this range most weeks going forward and then only go up. So, this wasn't like an aberration for Nitro either. Uh, and it tells you, you know, the Kevin Kelly team here, uh, good for KK. It's only the fourth Nitro win, uh, fourth WF commentary win since Beware of Dog, uh, where they won the May pay-per-view. They've only won one, two, three. This is the fourth one since then. So it's been yeah, you know, I mean, a I, lot of WCW heavy commentary. 
commentary was pretty even, but I did like the changes were all made, so we can give them the nod this week. Um, I, a lot probably honestly deals with King not being in a feud, because when right. he's in a feud, that drags out a lot. So. All right, so that'll do it for our big return, Chad. It was uh, great talking to you again, of course, and getting back into a role here. I think we have a lot of cool stuff to look forward to. The fall is an interesting time for WF because I think there's still a little bit of doldrum going on, but uh, we'll start the March of Survivor Series, and I think that's where things start to really finally pick up overall for us. And, of course, WCW is just getting started. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time frame. I mean, <laughs> calendar-wise, WWF 2 with the U.S. Open mm-hmm. is always a little weird after this after this episode, so we can talk about yeah, that, so, too. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks, back on our schedule here, two weeks on Thursday, uh, with just one episode. So we're only going to have Nitro, the August 26, 96 Nitro, and that's it. There's no Raw. It's preempted for the U.S. Open. Um, and then after that, we'll talk through it a little bit too because they'll have the weird Friday Raw that we'll cover etc yeah. uh, things are always weird around this little post summer time frame but for now we'll be back in two weeks with uh, just one Nitro and then we'll go on from there but it's good to be back in the saddle smelling the napalm take care whatever